Robert jostled sideways. Not that anyone actually touched me, of course. But New Yorkers have learned how to make mere momentum contagious. Surrounded by them and their hurry, I stalked into the station and lugged my luggage up the broad, bright white stairway into the main concourse. It was a revelation. Today, and I have not been to Grand Central Station for decades now, I can still recall precisely how I felt the first time I stepped out onto that flat expanse of marble, beneath that vast, vaulted blue ceiling, sparkling with golden stars. Sunlight toppled down through the towering arched windows and splashed across the enormous room, and the eager humanity who scurried across it. Men and women and children, singly and in groups, dashed this way and that. Behind clattering wooden carts piled high with baggage, red-capped porters hurried to and fro. Awed and excited, I felt as though I had stumbled into a cathedral, the seat of the archdiocese of hustle and bustle. As I stood there, still panting from the journey to the surface of the earth, the air around me seemed to shimmer and hum. I was here. I was in New York. I hauled the suitcase over to the information booth, a squat upright cylinder of gleaming brass and glass huddled in the center of the concourse. On its four quadrants, travelers were arrayed in uneven, impatient lines, waiting to commune one-on-one with the earnest blue-uniformed dignitaries inside. I looked up at the big round clock atop the booth, Fifteen minutes after one. I was late. Had my uncle come and gone? I noticed that I was perspiring, demurely, of course, as one does. My sleeves were damp. Ah, said a voice behind me. Amanda? I turned. Two men stood there, both in their early thirties. One of them was short and wore a black three-piece suit, at least two sizes too small for his square, broad body. His black hair was slicked back from his square, broad forehead. His entire face, too, was square and broad, and it was flattened in front, as though someone had recently slammed something against it. A cruise ship, perhaps. I recognized the other man from a photograph Father had once shown me. But this man was slightly older and impossibly better looking than the man in the photograph. With the exception of my first husband, my Uncle John was the most handsome man I have ever met. Tall, slim, and clean-shaven, he smelled faintly of some astringent, terribly masculine cologne. His thick hair was black, his nose was straight, and his teeth were white. His eyes were a soft, incandescent blue, the precise color of robin's eggs, but flecked with tiny dancing sparkles of gold. He wore a cream-colored two-piece linen suit, a blue silk shirt with a white collar, a red silk tie, a pair of tan silk socks, and a pair of serenely polished two-tone brown wingtip shoes. Jauntily down at his left thigh between thumb and forefinger, he held the brim of a bone-white Panama hat. Smiling politely, he offered his right hand to me, and I took it. He shook my hand formally, once, 
twice, and then released it. This is Albert, he said, and then grinned proudly, like an inventor showing off a recent triumph. A good friend of mine, he said, and slapped the other man on his thick shoulder. Albert nodded his big square head. Very pleased to meet you, he said, and held out his hand. How do you do? I reached for his lumpy hand, which seemed to be constructed entirely of knuckles. The thick fingers enclosed themselves around mine with an unexpected gentleness. He grinned at me, too, and said, I am perfectly well, thank you. And yourself, miss? Very well, I said. Thank you. Albert'll take your suitcase, said my uncle. Sure I will, said Albert. He released...